We believe, we trust, we rely on you, Lord. And so we pray as we work through your word tonight that it will work in us, bringing forth fruit and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Psalm 56 tonight and 57. They're both somewhat related, a cry for mercy, confession of faith and trust. We all need relief in life, and David shows us how to obtain it. So important. Be merciful to me, Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. There are many who fight against me, O God, most high. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All the day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. They lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows are made to you, are binding upon me, O God, and I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. You have not kept my feet from falling. You have, excuse me, and have you not, let me say that again, have you not kept my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And I want to continue with Psalm 57 because I think they're very similar. And they're at a time uh, written closely together in the time of, I think, in David's life. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. And I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. 
Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. And into the midst of it they have fallen themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So David, I believe, wrote these on the run. (laughs) Like he composed these. You remember that when he left Saul and was on the run for his life, that uh, initially 400 guys joined the group. And then it grew to 600. And they... Uh, were hiding out in uh, the cave of Adullam afterwards. They went to the Kiela. Uh, they fought against the Philistines. They were in, in the constant state of uh, being unsettled. And I don't know uh, if, you, if we can really relate to that kind of living out in the wilderness, living in a cave, fearful for your life, you know, if you've moved from place to place, when you're in transition, that's probably the weakest. You're, you're, you're so vulnerable so, to so many things because when you're moving from one place that's all familiar and known to the unfamiliar and unknown, and you're not yet settled, you don't have the context, you don't have friends, you're just there, it, it's, a, it's not a good feeling. It takes a while to get settled in, to, to really figure it out and to, and to you know, develop friendships. Well, none of that's going to happen when you're on the run and you're in this guerrilla warfare uh, situation that David found him. He is, this takes place for somewhere between 13 and 15 years. This just wasn't what a nice little two-year experience. He was somewhere around, we think, around 15 or so when he fought Goliath. Very young. He might have been 18. It's, it's, we don't really know. But he was 30 when he came to, to lead. And who was alive during that time chasing him? Saul. And so you can do a little bit of the math there and kind of figure that out. But um, here's a young man, and you think, why would God put this guy through this? And he, there's a principle, and lots of principles here in David's, that are at work in David's life. It took a Saul to make a David. Could you imagine what kind of character David would have been had he not gone through all this? I don't think he would have been that good of great of a king. I mean, we look what happened to Saul. He had no preparations, no persecution, no depth to speak of, and he just began to serve his flesh. Probably about halfway through his administration is when the death sentence came for him. As far as leadership, it was done. He was in it for himself. And, and so the testings and the trials and all that you go through to prepare you for what God has for are, are to make you so you succeed. This is, uh, you could entitle this probably, you know, God is for me. Just because you face adversity, trials and struggle doesn't mean God is against you. 
And a lot of times, God is for you. He wants us to overcome. There's some things we can't learn unless we go through pain and sorrow and suffering. And, and I think that's really the case in David's life. Now, um, it, having lived through some of this, uh, and you're, you, you yourselves, you, you start to understand. It's like, oh, okay, well, God's with me. And what is he, you know, these are songs. He turned, the, he turned these trials into songs. <laughs> I mean, he, and he worships his way through his pain. And that, that really speaks to me. Do I worship God through my pain? You know, I've said this before, the, you know, the angels, I mean, it, they just cut loose all the time because there's the Lord and there's the glory of God in heaven and What's not to like? <laughs> What's not to love in heaven? And praise can it flows freely from the angels constantly. Holy, holy is the Lord. But you and I being subject to pain, sorrow, persecution, evil, all kinds of stuff, and we yet choose to praise the Lord, that is pure and holy praise. The angels can't touch that. Because they've not been subjected to that. Isn't that an amazing work of grace? And David learned. And, and so, if we have to see ourselves as David, I think, sees himself. I am, I'm not worthy of more than this, Lord. And I failed. We're going to go back into chapter 22 of 1 Samuel here. And it was slightly rehearsed. The, some series of events that probably produced these psalms, these songs that he's singing. Now, could you imagine? David taught, these guys that gathered around him, was, they were the dropouts. <laughs> they were the misfits. They were deadbeats, it says. They were in debt. They were just not the best of guys, but they all gathered around David. You know, one of the things I'm pretty sure David taught them in the midst of all this, he, he taught them how to worship. These guys, when you read at the end of Second Samuel, and it's in Chronicles, about the mighty men, these guys, I don't know too many people in the modern world that could even hold a candle to these guys. These guys were, I mean, that is really downplaying it to say that they were mighty men. One guy taking out a thousand guys. I mean, you know the Lord's with him. But I mean, and these guys, they were so loyal to this top three guys. David just sitting around thinking, you know, man, I'm really parched. Oh, man, I wouldn't mind having a drink from that well in Bethlehem. That water is the best water in the whole country, you know. And these guys, kept, you know, they like, whoa. And these guys are just, hey, let's go get, let's go get him a drink, man. <laughs> They break through enemy lines, kill a few people, get the water, go back to camp. Here you go, Dave. <laughs> Dave's like, what? Pours it out to the Lord. There's no way I'm touching that. I'm not worthy of that. Do you, that kind of example, he could have taken Saul out, another thing, twice. He had Saul right there. Just take him out. In fact, let me do it for you. No, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I mean, these are things that you, 
these things would have never come to the surface. It, you know, for us to evaluate and examine his heart had he not gone through these trials. And so am I better than David <laughs> in the sense being subjected to, oh, well, I don't need to do that. Well, maybe I don't need to be chased around the country for my life, running for my life. Hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> you never know these days, right? But I do need the trials that come into my life. And they do produce something that would not otherwise be produced unless I went through them. So I think that's something we have to, to glean. You know, as you look at Psalm 56, the, the oppression. He speaks of this a lot. Do you feel the oppression? You know, he, we're not the only ones that feel the weight and the attacks of the enemy. They're continuous. Notice what he says here. They oppress me and hound me all day. Do you, and, and so, so how do we bring that to, to our world? And It's spiritual warfare. Do you, there are days, that, there are some days like it's very overt and you can't miss it. And there are other days like, well, not too much happened today. Was, whatever. You know, it's pretty calm. But there are some days it's, it's like you are being hounded by the, the demons from hell. And there, you know, as David said, there are many who oppress. And, and that condemnation, that constant attack, the accuser of the brethren, the trials, the lies, the, the propaganda that's being put upon our culture, all, all these things. We have to be so careful what we, we have to filter out a lot of this stuff. Don't let it come into your cup. Don't expose yourself to things that, that are negative and continually bring you down. We, that is just a discipline you have to learn. You know, and I'm speaking of my own personal experience of, of listening to news or going to the news. Just glancing at the headlines is, is sufficient for me, just so you know. I, you know I, I, this is happening, and guess what? I don't need to really dive into the details. Number one, how is that going to change that? It's not. Is it going to make me a better person? Now that I know this and I'm aware, no. Well, well, but you can pray. Well, that's probably about the only thing I can do of any value when it comes to spending my time or in some cases wasting too much time trying to figure out what's going on in the world. I've got something. If God speaks to my heart to direct me in some way in, in regards to that, that's fine. I, I told someone the other day, I said, I like to stay abreast of enough to know that if there is something going on, I want the Lord to make me aware of it so I can prepare for it. I want to protect my family. I want to take care of business. And I don't want to be caught off guard. You know, to be forewarned is to be, you know, uh, forearmed. And you need to be, sometimes we do need to be forewarned. So you can't totally just write all this off, but you can't let it consume you either. There is a real delicate balance in the life of a believer. Because the objective of what's going on in our culture and, new, and the news thing is to create fear. Because you can control fear for pe people that are afraid. And I'm, you know, what does David do when he's afraid? He was afraid of Saul. Petrified. I'm, he thought he was going to die several times. Well, I know, I know Samuel dumped the oil on me, but, I'm, you know, but he's right there. And what does he do with all his fears? I will trust in you. You have to turn 
these fears to God, over to God. And then he ends with this little clip, and he's, you can tell this is part of, like of a part of the course. What can man do to me? You know, what, what can flesh do to me? That's what he's implying. You know, what's he going to really do to me? If God has really anointed me to be king, then I'm, I'm going to survive this. But then I think he has doubts on occasion. So what, you know, what can man do to me? Well, possibly nothing. But on the other hand, possibly he could really make life miserable for me, right? I mean, they can do some things that are very injurious to us. You know, they, you know and he lists a few things. That they twist your words. They, they think nothing but evil, so they're trying to plot evil against you. They assemble together. They're familiar with the steps. They were tracking this guy down. They lie in wait. And what's David's response in this psalm? Prayer. Cast them down, O oh Lord. That's all you really need to do, Lord. Just bring these demons under your control, Lord. You've numbered my... Notice these things that are really precious. He's numbered my... Your days are numbered. It's not forever. We're going we're gonna to finish. We're going to finish well. And we're going to close our eyes for the last time. We're going to enter it. We're going to cross the valley. And we're going to enter into the, to the gates to glory. It's going to happen. But we gotta, we, our wonderings are marked out for us. Hallelujah. My tear, I, I, had, I had forgotten about this verse, uh, part of it anyway. My tears are in your bottle. I, you know, I'm, we're all familiar with that. I'm not sure how that works. Has he got a bottle? That literally, he's going to pour us. These are your tears upon the altar as an offering. I don't know. But I thought, forgot about the one... Are they not in your book? Why, why, why does God seem to make a big deal about tears? That's a question that you can ponder. Because when you are brought to tears, and they can be different kinds of tears. We know that. You can have fake tears. You can have self... You're crying because it's selfish loss or something that's not necessarily something maybe you should be crying about. But then there are real tears that you shed in tragedy of loss. There's sometimes it's just the presence of God is just so overwhelming that you just can't you just your your person can't handle the presence and you just break in in joyful tears. I remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I didn't know anything about anything when it comes to spiritual things other than that God had made himself real to me and I'm at the altar and I'm surrendering my life to him because I just, Jesus, I just want to serve you and I really didn't know what was happening to me theologically but when I held my hands like this and I prayed, it was like, Lord, I just want to serve you. That's all I prayed and that was as that John 7, out of your innermost being's will gush forth torrents of living water. It was right here in my belly. Some of you are familiar with this story. And I couldn't speak, and the tears were just pouring down my cheeks. And I was not an emotional guy, like a tough guy, you know. That's what guys are. Feelings, we don't have those. But I, in my surrender, it was a joyful a joy was 
flood of joy. I'd never experienced that kind of joy, that, that kind of presence before. But it was, and that's really, actually, some of you who, who struggle with, I don't know if I've been baptized in the Spirit or not. Here's the issue with that. It's a, it, the issue with baptism of the Holy Spirit is surrender. That's what God's after. You don't get all of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gets all of you at that point. Just like salvation doesn't happen unless you are completely your will is broken for his will. You're not saved until you surrender your will. It's just, you know, you can say the words. and See, there are those who measure their spirituality by what they know. And because I have a right set of facts in my brain about Jesus, I'm therefore, I am spiritual. I have faith. No, not necessarily. You have to, it has to, everything that we do Man looks upon the outside, all the works we do, all of our appearance, but what does God look upon? The heart. And, and that's what true surrender looks like from, from God's perspective. And when that is there, you're saved. And when you yield yourself and your entire will is committed to him for whatever he wants, and you ask him for his spirit, he will baptize you. It is, it's all about surrender. David had that kind of relationship as an Old Testament believer. He understood that God hears my cries. When you're surrendered to him, you know that God hears. And that's a very important truth to, to grasp. Because he hears me, I know that God is for me. Are you here tonight thinking, I'm not sure about that? Maybe some of you listening by way of the internet, you know, you think most, you know, what do you, what do you hear from the enemy? <sighs> God is done with you. You are such a loser. You know, you, you ever hear those kind of accusations that are negative? Never forget this awesome truth. God is for us. It's just like a father helping their young child learning how to walk. There's, you're right there. You're holding hands. You're, you're helping them to take the next step. You pick, if they fall, you pick them back up. You encourage, it's just constant encouragement. God is for us. He's on our side when we love him like this. And so he ends that psalm with walking in the light of the living. What, can you think of anything greater, a greater gift to have on this side of heaven than the gift of eternal life? I mean, I love the perspective you get when you read through the Psalms. David cuts right to it. In Psalm 57, we'll just look at, you know, again, it's the mercy. It's, it's your faith, you're my refuge. His prayer, he recognizes that God is with him because the answers are coming from heaven. God is performing these wonders. You know, when, when David is on the mountaintop and his guys are scaling it and they're climbing and they're being surrounded and then it, this is, looks like it's over here. And Saul gets word that the Philistines have invaded the land. God performs his word. Look what he's done in our own lives. You can, God's fingerprints are all over your life. You can't miss them if you just stop and look. It's like, wow, whoa. It's a wonderful thing. God performs. I love that, the way he says it there in verse 2. The God who performs all things for me. 
That's wonderful. He goes on to describe his enemies as lions. Now, I don't know about you, but I, lions are, I kind of have this fetish with lions. I know my screensaver, my wallpaper on my computer is a lion because I think they're cool. There's this guy from the lion of the tribe of Judah. I kind of like him. One of my favorite guys. <laughs> and so that's what that's about. But when you think about lion, you know, the king, of the, the king of the jungle, right? But when they go after prey, oh my, what do they do? He's describing his enemies as lions. They encircle, and then when they go for the kill, what do they go for? It's their teeth, and they're going for the spine. Because when they sink those long fangs into the back of the critter they're going to eat, they paralyze it. The encircling is to create fear. And then, but Satan is a roaring lion, is he not? But he's a toothless wonder because greater is the spirit in us than the spirit that's in this world. David sensed his enemies to the point that they were filled with passion and intensity to destroy him. Saul was just full of so much hatred and jealousy. He said they were as men set on fire. I mean, that's talking about passion, at least. And yet, he looked to God. My heart is being, my heart is steadfast. And you think that's important to tell God that in the midst of your trial? Look, Father, it doesn't matter what happens to me, just be glorified. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Please deliver me from it. I'm not changing my course. I'm committed. That's what he's talking about. It's an interesting word. Nakan. It means to be established. It means to permanent. My heart is permanently fixed on God. Doesn't matter what happens to me, Lord. I, I am staying here. Now, if you're like um, pliable in the Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Pliable, as soon as they get into the rough waters and they fall into the swamp, I'm going back home. That's what he did, right? See a Christian, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to the celestial city. Too rough, too hard. That's not said fast. That's weak. And that's not going to bring salvation. David is Nakan. He's established. He's permanently fixed his heart upon the Lord. And to demonstrate that, he worships in the middle of his tribulations, his trials. So let's, finishing this up, let's go to 1 Samuel 22. And there are a couple things that I'm not going to keep you here. But these psalms, they, they touch a lot of different areas. And and, and, and that's, what's, that's why they're so healthy for us to, to cover. But First Samuel 22, David fled and he went to King of Gath. And I was reading this, rereading it back in the office before I just started laughing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Kathy thought I was losing it or something. Um, in verse 20, chapter 20 and verse 12, um, he's 
in enemy territory because he thinks if he goes into enemy territory, then Saul won't chase anymore. He's just logically trying to help himself here. And he hears these guys. Word's gotten around that he's quite the warrior. And the song that was being sung by the people where Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and these guys are talking about, what's this guy? Isn't this the guy that, wait, this is the king of it. Why is he here? Why is David here? And David, in verse 12, took these words to heart and was very much afraid of the king of Achish, king of Gath. And so he acts like he's insane. <laughs> now I'm not saying that this is one of, I don't think this is one of David's higher, better moments. But I understand fear can cause us to do some things we probably are ashamed of. I'm not sure David was, you know. I'm not sure about that. But they were the bad guys. But they were the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Very very possible. It doesn't necessarily mean the king was, though. Yeah. <laughs> so he leaves there and he goes to the cave of Adullam, and this is where it is believed that these psalms were, were, were penned. And, um, and then he talks about all these guys that were gathered to him. And then we skip over uh, through that whole situation there and he knows you know, Saul's murders uh, the, all the priests and then he comes to and I think this is probably tied into the Psalms these Psalms is what went on uh, in the city of Keilah the, they were being attacked by the Philistines and David has Abiathar the priest there and he asks him you know look should we go up against the Philistines and the Lord says, yes. And, you know, will, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord says, yes. And he delivers Kiel out of, uh, from the hand of the Philistines. And, you know, of course, he's, the people are very happy, obviously. And then Saul gets word, oh, David's in the city with gates and walls. Great. I'm just, we'll just go down there and surround it. And we got him. Now, I'm not... They didn't have cell phones. How did they, how did they message, how did David find out that Saul was going to come down to get him? I, I, you know, that's a question I ask myself. See, and I make mention of this because God can give us the knowledge that we, individual we need and we think we've got to do all our homework, we've got to do all this. Not necessarily. One of my prayers is, Lord, make me aware of the things that I need to be aware of and keep me blind and deaf to the things that, I don't, that are none of my business and I don't need to be concerned with. Because you can get off in the weeds with information. We are living in an information age and I think it's actually driving people mad. You just, you know, there's some things I just don't need to know. I've only got so many brain cells and I don't want to waste them on stuff that's ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking of that, I just digress just a little bit. My wife likes to play uh, you play the crossword puzzles, and she's got these old ones. And so back in the 70s when I was a young kid, I followed baseball pretty close. I, being an athlete and everything, 
And so I know a lot of baseball players from that era. And so she's going through there. It's like, she'll just throw out a question. And I go, Mel Ott. Oh, why do, how do I know this? How do I know this? Or that was Johnny Bench or Pete Rose. Or, and, it, and it's just like stupid. I waste, why do I need that trivial information in my brain? What? So you can, <laughs> so you can finish your crossword puzzle. <laughs> of course. I just think this is important as a believer that we watch and guard our minds. And that's all I'm trying to say. Just be careful. And you can kind of tell when you're like, okay, I'm saturated. This is enough. Click, click, and refocus. And, and that's really what, all I want to say about that. David uh, inquired of the Lord. The Lord told him what he should do. Now, this is, this is the last point that I want to make here. And it's a, an important one. We've got a lot of people that think everything, everything has been ordained by God. And, you know, it's the great God chance. And it, well, you know, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen because, you know, the great God chance is going to work it out. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Or, or yeah, the, you can call him that too, the great God of fate. Well, right here, uh, and it's because these people struggle with, you know, human beings having free will. Well, this is a perfect illustration of free will that I've ever seen in the Bible. And so you can believe what you want to believe, and people can believe what they want to believe, but I'm going to stick to what's here. And what do we see here? Saul knows that David is in Keilah, right? He knows it's a walled city, and he knows that he, if David's there, he can surround that city and take him. So he's going to come down there. David gets wind of it some way. He inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, yes, he's going to come down. And, he, and then David says, well, okay, I just delivered these people. The second question is very important. Will the people of this city, after I've done a good deed, shown myself to be faithful to them and loyal to them, will they turn me over to this wicked king who's trying to take me out? And the Lord says, yes, they will. <laughs> so, what does David do? He did, does he just hunker down in Keilah, the city? He is out of there like no time at all, right? So God saw two things that were happening, and David understood two things that were going to happen. And so he made a choice, and those things that God saw that could have happened never happened because David exercised his free will and got out of Dodge, or Keela in this case. So... God knows all possibilities. This is the amazing thing. He understands. Here's, here's what I've tried to process in my own heart over all the years. Think of this for a moment. God has ordained. You know, if you read through Ephesians 1, it's not about the who there. It's about the what. What is. The what in Ephesians 1 is we have been predestined to be the sons and daughters of God. 
And we are going to rule and reign with them. And we now have a kinsman, redeemer. God is now part of humanity. And he is our leader. And we're going to rule and reign for the eons to come. That's what God had in mind when he created man and placed him in the garden. And it's been interrupted. He will not be denied. That's going to happen. What's important, I've got to pull this together here. If God will not be denied uh, this, how is it that he can allow every human being that has ever been created to exercise their free will, that he can allow every angel whatever level angelic, whatever level they are may be at to exercise their free will because a lot of them rebelled. So you have all these sons of God, sons of men exercising their free will and a lot of it's in rebelling against him. And yet in the end, everyone that's made that decision for or against God is held accountable for their decisions and yet in the end, in the final outcome, guess what is accomplished? We are in a glorified state with him without violating anyone's free will and yet holding each and every one of us accountable to God. That, my friend, is a mighty God. I can't get my mind around at a being that has that kind of ability to let rebels and loyals to him exercise their free will and accomplish all of that. He will not be denied. Now, we can see there's sovereignty involved, such as what happened in Egypt with Pharaoh. God acts, yes, he does act in sovereignty, and he does control certain things, but that doesn't relieve those who exercise free will from their responsibility. That is amazing to me. We're not robots. The angels are not robots. Isn't this amazing? I'm just going to open it up for this. You can um, stop me here. Um, but I, if you guys have some comments on this, because I've, you know, this is like a little, our little home fellowship here. Um, I love to entertain these kinds of things because